thread. God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Hi there, I'm Chuck Quinley, and welcome back to Thread, episode 102. Hey, I'm uh, I'm one day older now. Uh, yesterday was my birthday, and I'm recording this. And I began thinking about, you know, what does success look like to me now? What is it that I want to see happen? And and I think I'm pretty clear on that. That I would love to see myself a part in the lives of, uh, say, a thousand people, and each of them entering the ministry in some way. And when I say the ministry, I mean, that could be a church kind of ministry role where that, or a nonprofit role where that, you know, this becomes a vocation for you and you, you know, as your primary life uh, path are able to completely focus on serving other people. But it might also be something that, you know, you have to have a job that pays the bills and, and then your life is, is service and you're trying to find a way in that work environment to serve and uh, you know, I think God will honor that and he'll help you with that and for me you know that's what this uh, that's what this podcast is all about so I hope it's uh, helpful to you I want to be helpful to you and if you will correspond with me and let me know what's going on in your life uh, I'll be able to do a better job of that I want to say thanks so much to Shanda for writing me this week from Jamaica. Uh, it was a really meaningful email to me, and it, um, and it helps me. It encourages me. So anytime you want to write me, my address is chuck at quinley.com, and I would love to hear from you. All right, well, let's turn in God's Word to Acts chapter 14. Today we're going to be reading from verses 8 to 20. And I want to start you with a question. You know, do you have any idea how many church services you've been in in your lifetime? I mean, do you know how many times you've listened to somebody preaching God's Word, or maybe you've been to a home Bible study or something like that? I don't know. For me, it's got to be thousands and thousands and thousands, because I was raised in church. We used to go three times a week when I was a kid. Most of my adult life has been serving a church in some way, and so I've been in service after service. And the, um, the worship, you know, that always builds me up when a church really focuses on worship. But a lot of times, whatever happens after that, uh, it's kind of forgettable in the end. I'm not saying I don't enjoy it. I'm just saying I can't really tell you what, you know, what happened through all that. But I have been in a few circumstances in my life where it has become an event and actually you know, an encounter of some sort between me and God, and the Holy Spirit broke out, and there are times that you know I can tell you exactly where we were and what happened and, and what supernatural encounter took place in my life. And I think that if you're going to serve in a ministry position, especially in church, it's really important to ask God to help you develop the skill, and I think it is a skill, to move things from being just another church service that follows the schedule that everybody knows by heart, and uh, you know, a long talk about God's Word that is all forgotten, and turn those meetings into a much more effective event where something comes up and we allow it to grow and we don't you know, try to stop it 
from because you know like, who knows what could happen if we start letting things just become an event. But I think those are those are the moments that change people's lives. And uh, so let's go into that because Paul was an expert at doing that. Jesus had modeled this for them. You know, you don't have Jesus just delivering a series of lectures in college campuses across Israel. You have Jesus in this this series of one-on-one encounters with people and sometimes with groups of people, but he intended that his teaching become an event. You know, they're going to forget over 90% of everything that we say within 24 hours. And it's not because they're bad people aren't paying attention or because we're bad preachers and didn't do a good enough job preparing. That's just the statistics on how God wired a human to deal with hearing somebody give a talk about something. It's not something that he intends that we focus on and keep in our mind. But events are things that take place, and you don't forget what happened to you. And so Paul uh, was modeling after the, the way of Jesus, and he, he was able to turn an encamp- you know, uh, a teaching moment into an event. And so let's, let's just take a look at what we're talking about. Uh, just to give you a little background, he's just gotten run out of one town. He stayed there as long as he could, Iconium, built up strong church, and then when, it was, when he really did have to go to avoid bloodshed, he and Barnabas left and went to two towns, and they're called Lystra and Derby. And the story opens in chapter 14, verse 8, and it's not an official meeting. It's Paul just going, and Barnabas, and they just have gone to a public place, a market square, wherever the people hang out in that town. And Paul began to gather folks around to say, hey, come, come around me. I have some really good news to talk to you about. Now, that seems radical today because it's not commonly done, uh, but it's a more human way. And uh, I think if you can just get back to that, you know, if we could get into public places for our communication times, I think we would have so much greater results. And I'm positive that if you want to see more miracles in your ministry, you need to quit just having ministry in a church because virtually every major healing of Jesus took place in the street somewhere. He was out where people live and where people gather, and he gathered them to himself in public places. And that's what Paul has done, and that's what some people still do around the world, and I think with great effect. Uh, You have to work on your skill, and I've done some open-air engagement of people, and I've watched others who just are amazing in that environment. And I know it's just a skill that comes with time, but I can promise you that God will show up if we will have the boldness that we need to extend God's kingdom heart by heart by getting out into the normal places where common people live. You know, Paul absolutely believed in the gospel. In Romans 1.16, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So in Paul's mind, you just engage anyone you can, and you engage them with as much passion as you have. And so that's what Paul's done. He's just gathered people, gather around, friends, I have good news to tell you. And so they walked up to him, and he had harvest in town after town. But as he is in the midst of delivering his message, which was about the kingdom of God, because 
The early church understood that was the only thing that they had been sent to teach and that it was their message. And so Paul stayed on message everywhere he went, and he, he recites this in town after town. He's coming there to tell them about the kingdom of God, this invisible kingdom. But invisible doesn't mean imaginary. I mean, the wind is invisible. I cannot see the wind, but it is not imaginary. I'm not pretending that there's a wind. There really is a wind, and I see what the wind can do. And right now, God has brought through Jesus this kingdom, this invisible kingdom that is slowly becoming visible. It's growing. And what you can definitely see is the effect of the wind. And you can see the effect of the kingdom and the authority of Jesus and what happens when the kingdom gets released in an area, you can see it happen with your eyes. You can see it in relationships. You can see what happens to people. And this town is about to see visually what it means for the kingdom to have come to them. And so uh, Paul does something. As he's teaching, he is scanning the crowd. And that's something else I'd like to say to you. Uh, if, you're, if you're called by God to be a speaker in public, please do not follow your public speaking coach's um, word to you if, you if you got the same word I got, because I was trained that because you may be shy and nervous and to overcome that, you never really look at people. You look over their head, you scalp them, you know, you look at their eyebrows or their hairline, and but you keep your head moving and you give the appearance that you are looking at everybody. Well, I mean, maybe that's a beginner's level, but we got to move past that. Jesus and Paul and all the powerful people who have ever done public ministry, they understand, no, you look into the eyes and you hold that eye contact for longer than you would in a normal conversation. When you are speaking, you, you, you scan that room. You know, some people are on their phones, and, but you're going to see some faces that are locked onto yours. You need to bore into those faces because they're receiving something from God that you may or may not even be saying, but things are going into them, and you need to connect with them. And so the Holy Spirit's gift of discernment will help you see who you're there to speak to. And so Paul notices the flicker of a fire of faith in this crippled man. There's a guy sitting there that's had something like polio, and he's never walked in his life. And so Paul notices him, and, and what the Holy Spirit tells Paul is, this man has faith to be healed. Paul's talking about transformation, the change of a life, the change of his own life, the power of Jesus, what God can do, and this man's eyes are glowing. And finally, Paul just stops his evangelistic method and message, and he shouts, you there, stand up straight. Now notice again, there's no prayer. It is a command. You command healing, especially in an environment of faith. Now, you may, just to get your own faith up, you may want to stop and pray for a minute for the person, but at the end of your prayer, you need to command healing. Uh, but you know, Paul doesn't stop and say, oh God, would you please, if it's your will, heal this man. He's prayed up on that thing. He knows that God wants to do miracles. It's just who's got the faith, who's going to connect, and this guy was one of those. And Paul just knows the Holy Spirit will always show up whenever you're sharing about Jesus. So he commands healing in an environment of faith. 
like uh, Jesus did. The man on the mat, when they tore open the roof of the house and they lowered him, Jesus smiled and said, wow, big faith. And it was his friend's faith. And uh, he was healed over and over. Jesus told people, you got healed today because of your faith. So you learn to sense the presence of miracle faith and healing takes place. And it takes place in this one. So that's the first thing I want us to look at today. And that is that as you're sharing Look for a chance to create moments, even awkward moments, real encounters between God and people, hard questions that make people dig inside, stopping everything, uh, doing things that you, you would not normally do, not to make a circus, but to make this become an event and not just you know take out your notebooks and get your Bibles and try to write down everything you hear me say so you don't forget it. Make something happen. Let it be an event. God will show up. Well, in this case, an amazing miracle takes place, and the man stands to his feet, and the whole town, the Bible says he leaped, verse 10, he leaped and walked, and the whole town rises to its feet and starts running around. They're shouting, and something gets lost in translation because these are pagan people. They have a a spiritual worldview that's about the Roman, uh, the Greek pantheon and the Roman uh, pantheon and the, all this superstition and idol worship, and that is their 100% worldview about supernatural events. They have, like all humans, there's a thing called the numinous. The numinous is like when lightning strikes and the thunder shakes your whole body and it scares you to death and you can't see it, you can't control it, it's too big for you. That's called numinous awe, when we just sit with our mouth open and knowing that we're like a little bug and there are all these big forces that could destroy us. And every religion notices these things and wants to avoid them. Uh, and so they... They theorize in verse 13, the gods have come down. And so they run around getting ready to sacrifice a cow to them. And, and Barnabas is older and seems senior in his presence. And they call him Zeus, the great god. Uh, and Paul is Hermes because he's the one that speaks the most. He's Zeus's uh, spokesman. And so, you know, the missionaries are standing there watching what's going on. They've never seen a response like this. They have typically been evangelizing people who are either Jews or have been in synagogue so much that they understand all the Old Testament stories and ways, and they may be Gentiles, but they have sort of a Jewish mind. And But this is total paganism, and they did not see this coming. Now, Paul and Barnabas are change agents, and these people begin to call them gods, and um, they understand that leaders cannot fuel or even accept inordinate praise. It was not an option to say, okay, hold on. We'll make them think we're gods, and we'll tell them that, yes, we are the gods, and we've come to bring you a story about Jesus. And, and believe it or not, you know, there are some branches of Christianity that have done exactly that and um, have allowed the people to keep a paganism and tried to turn it and use it, but these men knew that is not what we're here to do. And so they race into the crowd and in verse 15, they begin to, to try to reason with them, to do a logic with them. They say, hold on, hold on. Why are you doing these things? We are just men. We have the same nature, verse 15, that you do. And we have been sent here to preach to you that you should turn from these. This is important. 
these useless things. You should turn from these useless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all the things that are in the sea. We are here as change agents, and we are here to turn you and tell you that you must turn away from these useless things. The word useless, uh, matayos in Greek, it means fruitless, empty, futile, hollow, worthless, not having any true force or power. Paul and Barnabas use this word, matayos, to describe all the Greek religious rituals, all the Roman mythology, all the pagan superstition, all idol worship. It is worthless. And Paul says later, an idol is nothing at all. There's nothing in an idol. It's not a demon. It's a piece of stone that a man carved. An idol is nothing. And their message is, turn from Zeus, who never lived, and worship God, who will never die. And they talk about general revelation. They say God is all around us. He gives us the rain and the sun. He shows that there's one great God who is over all. And by force, they stop this pagan worship. They, They want them to understand that everything in their religion is worthless. It is useless. It has no Val, uh, no valid use in finding a true spiritual path to God. Now, they do stop them, but there's tension in the air. See, Paul is not willing to accommodate their gods. He's not willing to accommodate their worldview. He's not willing to honor their culture. He calls on them to abandon this part of their culture because it's twisted, as all culture is. Culture is a human creation. Every culture has sin in it. Every culture institutionalizes sin in some form. All culture is fallen. It has some beautiful things in it. It has our traditions in it. But we made culture, and culture is as messed up as humans are because I deal with culture every day here in Asia. Some aspects of culture say that a child is, is a tool and you can use them to bring food to the family in a number of ways, and one of those is to sell your daughter off down the river to someone who's going to use them in the city, and uh, they're going to end up in prostitution, and everybody pretends that that's not what's happening. They know exactly what they're doing, and their culture tells them this is acceptable. So this whole thing of we have to honor culture, you can never touch culture, you know, forget that. Culture is messed up. We need to redeem culture. We honor the good part, uh, but we we want to redeem and and see it transformation of culture. And Paul says to them, your culture, as far as it relates to religion, you are totally off base and it's worthless. All the stuff you're going to do, you know, go kill a cow. It does nothing. You just killed a cow. That's all you accomplished. Because when you talk to Zeus, you're talking to nobody. There's not a Zeus. There's not a Hermes. These statues are not alive. You made them yourself. Repent. He calls on them to abandon their ways. He confronts their old superstitions and he says, repent. That's the key word. That's the key to conversion. It's the key to change in a person's life. It's the key to real transformation, repentance. You dig down deep, you rip the roots out of all this bad stuff, and you turn 180 degrees and you go in in another direction. And that's how lives get changed. Accommodation to old ways and 
and keeping you know, your old life as you step into your new life, that's a path to failure. And that's the gospel. And these men know the gospel, and with all their heart, even no matter what it means to them, they are going to preach the gospel. And predictably, verse 19, the darkness fights back. And uh, it's amazing how quickly they switch from he's a God, because, I mean, they've seen a miracle. Something happened. Possibility number one, he's a God. And within a few minutes or maybe hours, it becomes he's a witch. And so now, okay, there's still supernatural things have happened, but it's evil power. And just by believing he's a witch, this is actually very convenient because if you believe he's a witch, you can keep all your old ways. You can acknowledge the obvious miracle that you just saw, but you don't have to leave your superstitions and all your, all your bad ways. And uh, that's the thing about disbelief in miracles. You know, there's whole branches of Christianity that disbelieve in miracles. That, you know, this whole thing has passed away. No miracles are valid. I, I knew a guy that he was sick, and he was in a Bible study, and some friends of mine were the people who attended his Bible study. It's his Bible study. And uh, he was obviously not well, and they said, let us pray for you. And you would have thought he, that they said, let us throw gasoline on you and set you on fire. I mean, he came out of his, uh, kind of like bounced up out of his seat, nervous, very anxious, you know, no, no, no prayer for me. You're so scared of that. Well, see, if you don't believe in these miracles, that's great. Then you can control everything, and you can keep on doing any old way that you want, but God cannot be put in a box. He is powerful, and he is at work all over the world. So the darkness fights back, and Paul's head and body are smashed with large stones, and he is dragged out of the city dead, or believed to be dead, and he is thrown in the garbage. And that's another thing we need to understand. Sometimes we have to suffer for the ministry. Sometimes being faithful to God means that we have to go through some dark times because we're standing up for the truth, not because we mishandled conflict. Because you know, A lot of times we create our own dark times. We get a bad attitude or we just have bad practices. And sometimes they're not evil, they're just sloppy. And it creates situations, and we don't always respond right when someone critiques us. But that isn't what happened here. This was clear up spiritual warfare. The demon powers, the old superstitions, the uh, built-in culture of all these people, their little tiny mindset was now being inflamed by the darkness to fight off the light that was coming. And they have, as far as everybody knew, they have killed the Apostle Paul. They have crushed his head. They've broken up his body. But you know what? God is always there in the darkness. He's there even if you don't feel that he's there. But in this case, you know, Paul gets dragged out of the city as though dead, the scripture says. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes about an experience, and many people believe that this is when this experience took place. Paul says, I knew a man in Christ I don't know if I was in my body or out of my body. I can't tell. I can't tell if I was alive or dead. I can't tell if this was a vision or this really happened to me. He says, I, I'm just not able to make the line because I had an experience. I was caught up and I was in the third heaven. I saw things I've never seen. I've, I saw things I cannot describe. I saw things I cannot, I'm not allowed to describe. And I heard God speaking to me about my life, you know. 
It's beautiful. I mean, here's these people in their little world, the visible world, they've killed Paul. But the kingdom is invisible. It's real, but it's invisible. And Paul is in the invisible kingdom world, and he never stopped living, and he has gone straight into the presence of God. And then verse 20 says that the disciples gathered around him, uh, just laying there, no sign of life, and Paul revives. And bold man that he is, uh, he returns to the city. I don't even know how he could walk, but, you know, he's been touched by God. He's been sent back into his body to continue to live for the Lord and serve the king. Uh, He is such a bold, powerful man. He returns to the city, gets washed up, eats a meal, takes a good night's sleep, wakes up, goes to Derby the next day for another chance to preach the gospel. So God grant that we all have the boldness of the Apostle Paul. Hey, on the website, quinley.com, under this podcast, how about uh, describing for me any public gathering you've ever been in that became an event, it became an encounter. I'd love to, to hear your stories. Uh, post that, and then uh, you'll see that on quinley.com. Uh, I want to ask you to do two more things. If you, uh, if you like this podcast and if this ministers to you in some way, would you please go to quinley.com slash iTunes and give us a rating on iTunes. That's one of the biggest things you can do that will make things move forward. And a second thing I'd like to ask you to do, and that is go to quinley.com front slash love and give us some love on Facebook. What will happen is it'll pop up and you'll be in your Facebook account and uh, as long as you're logged on on your computer and it'll just take you to your account so you can make a little message here and just tell people you're listening to the Thread Podcast and invite them to do the same thing. And as always, I'd love to hear from you. If you want to write me directly, my personal email is chuck at quinley.com. I'd love to hear from you. That's all for this time, but we'll see you next time for more on the Thread Podcast. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Log on to quinley.com.